Um, this morning, I get to do something that's a little bit fun. I get to introduce uh, for you, uh, to you for the, for the first time our new children's pastor, and we're so excited to have Randy Doe here. Um, Randy, um, Randy, this isn't like a new start for her because she grew up in this church. Her dad founded this church, and so it's kind of a coming home, a homecoming mm-hmm. of sorts for Randy. And um, some of you, if you've been around, you've heard Don Doe speak, her dad. You've heard Jared speak, and you've probably heard Richard speak. But she's the real speaker, right? <laughs> we get to hear this morning. Um, she's going to open God's word for us in just a minute. And I love the story that she's tell- telling today, talking a little bit about the banquet of God, which I, I just love the theme, the imagery there, and some of the stories, even of the Maricopa. You'll, you'll get that in just a minute. But um, Randy, you've, you've spent about three years down in Maricopa um, mm-hmm. in children's ministry at a church yes. down there, one of our partner churches. And uh, before that, you've served in a number of missions organizations. You were in Japan for three years, um, teaching English and serving over in Japan, ok- Okinawa. We're going to hear a little bit about that this morning, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, she went to Anderson School of Theology. So she has her master's, so she's super smart, which is a little intimidating for me, but it's awesome. I'm good at pretending. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many good things, and it's so good to have you back here. One of the things we wanted to do as a church is we wanted her to relearn the area around here. And we know in Maricopa, they don't have the restaurants like we have here in Scottsdale. So we've given her some uh, gift cards to Pita Jungle and Baked Bear and uh, Hop Dottie Burger Bar. And uh, we just want her to feel at home. So let's welcome her for the first time here at McDowell as she opens God's Word. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be back here at McDowell Mountain. Uh, I was telling Matt this morning when I was driving in, uh, I, I, I had this deep feeling inside of coming home, and I started to get really emotional. And usually, if you know my family pretty well, and if you've met my brother, my brother Jared is the crier in the family. I don't think a message goes on that he doesn't cry in, but I was, I was feeling pretty emotional uh, coming in today because, because this church has had such a huge impact on my life. It has had such a huge impact on my relationship with Jesus, with my call to ministry, and I am just thrilled to be back here and thrilled to get to know all of you and your children and just our, uh, our children's um, leadership team. So thank you so much for the warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited for the future of our church and, and where I kind of get to continue to fit in with that. So as Matt was saying, uh, for the last three years, I have been in the lovely town of Maricopa. And do you guys know where Maricopa is? Has anyone ever been? Okay. So up to like three years ago, a little over three years ago, I had no idea where Maricopa was. I grew up here in, in Scottsdale and in North Phoenix, but I had no idea where Maricopa was. Um, but what I found out, Maricopa is just a little bit south of Chandler and Ahwatukee about 20 minutes south, and it's kind of like this oasis in the desert. So it's a city uh, unto itself, and we are surrounded completely by desert. So when I moved to Maricopa, everyone was telling me, oh, you are going to love this city. It's like Mayberry. 
And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. I've always wanted to live in a place where I know everyone's name. And that is literally true. You do know everyone's name. Um, but what I found it to be is that, is that Maricopa is more, uh, like, uh, more like the town on the TV show uh, Under the Dome. Have you guys have heard of that? Uh, under the Dome. So about three years ago, uh, there was this uh, TV show that came out, and it was based on a Stephen King book called Under the Dome. And in this town, there's like this iridescent um, formation that goes over the town. So nothing could come in and nothing can go out. And pretty much the residents are trying to figure out why nothing is going in and nothing is going out. So that is Maricopa for you. We are, we are, uh, we are this dome. We, um, it seems at times that there, uh, there is this like trans, translucent covering over the city. So when we have these great, big, beautiful monsoons come, they just kind of skip over our city. So we could see the clouds rolling in and then it goes towards Casa Grande or it goes to the Estrella Mountains. And uh, it never, the storms never fully hit Maricopa, which, you know, is kind of a bummer when you live in the desert. But also, I know this to be true because, you know, there's, like Matt was saying, we don't have a lot of restaurants. And so uh, we know that there's a dome when you can't even get a Target. <laughs> and, um, and I've discovered there is one thing that can make its way into our little dome of Maricopa. And that is the pungent, permeated smell of cow. Uh, I found out since living in Maricopa that we are surrounded by like three cow farms, if you want to call it that. And, um, and so morning, noon, and night, you could almost always smell cow, which, uh, which is probably a sign I needed to move out of there. <laughs> um, but... Uh, because I lived in Maricopa, and um, when, I was in, when I was in Japan, I lived in this uh, city called Kobe, which it's known for its beef, it's known for its cows, but I lived there for three years and never saw one. I've, I've come to, uh, I am at a place where I could speak bovine, I guess you could say. And, um, and cows will do this thing uh, you might hear called chewing the cud, and pretty much what happens is the cow will like chew their food and it, and it kind of goes down into the first stomach and then it shoots back up. And then for like eight hours of a day, they'll just continue chewing and chewing and chewing. And we call this rumination. Uh, I think I have like a definition that you could see, uh, rumination. And um, it's to chew again what has been chewed slightly and swallowed. Um, but I've been thinking, I mean, that's kind of the cow definition, but I've been thinking uh, in my life um, that this is a good illustration of, of what God wants us to do with his word and with um, learning to follow Jesus and learning to live our life after him. So I use rumination as the definition to engage in contemplation, to think carefully and deeply about something. So this summer, um, for many of you, has been a summer of transition. And for myself, it's also been a summer of transition. And so I have been ruminating on, on Jesus and his words and his teaching. 
and, and uh, what it means to be, to be a servant of the gospel, what it means to be a minister for Christ, and how I can best serve the body, the body of Christ. And so I keep um, coming back to this, to this phrase that Jesus has taught more than any other phrase, and that is the kingdom of God. And if you read through the Gospels, uh, whether you're in Matthew all the way to John, uh, what, you, what you hear the most from G Jesus is this teaching on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And what we hear from Jesus is that the kingdom of heaven is now, the kingdom of heaven is um, at hand, the kingdom of God is yet to come. And, uh, and that's kind of like a big, broad statement. So I know a few weeks ago, Christy Faye spoke about the kingdom. And so today, I am kind of taking a different uh, look at the kingdom of God because it is so big, it is so all-encompassing, and the message of the kingdom is so important because we each have a role in, uh, in how we serve Jesus, how we follow Jesus, and how we participate in his kingdom message. So we're going to look in, uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 14, and I think it's also up on the screen. And uh, this is kind of a precursor for one of Jesus' teachings on the kingdom. So we could see at the beginning of Luke 14 that Jesus is going to a Pharisee's house. And he says, it says in verse 1, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed, them, he healed him and sent him away. So here we have uh, the setting of the story. We have the context of, which, um, of what is happening in, this, in, in these series of verses. So a few things I wanted to pull out. First of all, you could see that this is a Sabbath. So for the Jewish Jews, this is the most holy day where they don't do anything and they kind of judge people that do. <laughs> and so Jesus was invited to eat at this prominent Pharisee's house and he was being carefully watched. So what they're saying is, that um, a, a trap is being set. They want to catch Jesus in the act. And so there's a man suffering from dropsy, which is a pretty, um, it's a sickness of the time um, that makes your limbs feel heavy with water. And, uh, and um, this man is suffering, and um, the Pharisees purposely invited him, the sick man, to come in hopes that they would catch Jesus. Uh, healing this guy. And so Jesus heals him. They remain silent. You could feel like kind of the judgment and condemnation that's taking place. And Jesus heals him and sends him on his way. So I think that Pharisees are so interesting. There's, there's like a small part of me that kind of identifies with them. Um, they kind of have this desire to be perfect and to follow the law and uh, to fit in the rules and to hold on to the past. And, uh, and it all, you know, it started off that they were like the heroes of the story because they were, the Pharisees were trying to preserve the Jewish culture and the faith and the influence of Hellenization through Alexander the Great. But over time, it became legalism. And so Jesus is trying to get to the heart of the matter here and saying, you know, it's not about, it's not about the law. It's not about legalism. Uh, what this, what this is about, what I'm, this, the setting um, that the story is taking place is learning 
what love and service is about. So Jesus kind of goes on uh, in the verses of 5 to 11, and he talks about this wedding feast, what it means to serve and uh, putting others first, even when he sees them kind of jostling for position. So in verse 12, he says um, to the host, who is also a Pharisee, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the Pharisees, if they were inviting someone, especially um, in this like position of, of uh, jostling for position and places of honor, they knew that inviting someone that, uh, that was their equal or better than them in their eyes there would, be, there would be repayment in kind. But what Jesus is saying here at a banquet or at the wedding feast is, is invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. If you look, um, if you look in the, the message translation, it says the, uh, the misfits. And so it's kind of like the normal people, the people that might have a little bit of a past, the people that aren't perfect like the Pharisees. So he's saying, that's who I want you to invite to the table. So Jesus goes on, and in verse 15, he says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So here, uh, the one at the table, he was probably the host, he was probably the Pharisee that was in charge of this meal. And so he uses some very churchy words of the time. He uses the kingdom of God language that I've been kind of ruminating all month long trying to figure out what it means. And so his motive here is like, I know the words to say. I know, I know uh, what this means for the Israelite people. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it at, at Jesus because it's going to make me sound pretty good. And so Jesus replies with another parable. And he says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And then another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So here, Jesus is setting the stage. He's giving this invitation of this great banquet and these three people are using the excuses of a job, of possessions, and of family. And I can't help but think how often I use those excuses, maybe not to do um, the, the work that God has called me to do, or if I see an opportunity to serve or to love. And, you know, oftentimes it's like comes back to this point where I think I might be a little bit too busy. I got I to gotta go do this over here. Or we have like a family celebration or um, my job is keeping me really busy. And those things are true and we don't want to not do them. But at the same time, we don't want, we don't want anything to detract or stop us for, from uh, participating um, in this great banquet. So the servant... If you could see in verse 21, he came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant. 
go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So here, Jesus, um, or the owner of the house, um, tells the servant, okay, these guys, the first three groups of people did not hear and did not accept the invitation, so let's open it up to everyone. Let's open it up to the misfits. <laughs> and uh, so the servant goes in verse 22, and he says, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make the come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So here, uh, the, the master is saying, we're going to expand this invitation um, past the city limits. This is an invitation to go out to the next city over, to the next country over, to the roads that lead to other city and towns, so that more and more people will know about this, about this banquet that I want them to come to. So, um, so in verse 24, he says, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. So he's reiterating that the people at the beginning um, of this parable are not going to hear it, and they're going to lose their chance, and they're going to lose their opportunity to participate in this great banquet. So if you look at, the, if you look at this parable, when first reading, you could see that the great banquet is, is the kingdom of God. It's participating in eternal life forever uh, with God. And uh, God in this, uh, in this uh, parable is, uh, he's the one who is uh, setting up the banquet. Then he sends out his servant, which would be Jesus. So Jesus first goes to the Jewish people and invites them. And then from there, his mission expands to the whole world. But this parable really came to light in, for me um, in a different way at the end of seminary. Uh, I, I had done the semester before a, um, a paper on it, uh, and really I was kind of um, grappling with the scripture and, and how do we reach, you know, like the, just this missions-minded, uh, you know, I wanted more of a framework for participating in missions and uh, helping those who are lost around the world and, and knowing what kind of issues are going on in our world, everything from sex trafficking, human trafficking, to helping the homeless, to feeding the hungry. And so I went in understanding it in that framework. But uh, that summer after I finished school, um, I, I had to do an internship. So I went to the beautiful land of Okinawa, Japan, uh, which uh, had a which um, was a little bit different than what I had, where I'd been the, year be the years before. Uh, before, I had been in Kobe, Japan, which is kind of in the mainland heart. But Okinawa would be similar to what, uh, what Hawaii is, to kind of like the mainland here. It's a little bit separated, it's tropical, it's beautiful. Um, there's a lot of history. And I was really excited for this opportunity to go and serve at this church and, um, and kind of take what I had learned in seminary and, you know, use this, like, framework uh, to minister around the world. So I get to Okinawa, and I quickly learn how different the culture is from mainland Japan. And one of the first things uh, that happened when I was there was that I... 
there was a group of uh, older ladies in the church, and they were everywhere from the ages of like 70 to 101 years old. So they were, they were kind of up there in years. And they were all uh, members of this church that I was serving at. And they came to me, and they're like, Randy, we are going to have this Okinawa meal, and we would love for you to come uh, over for lunch and, and eat with us. And so I was really excited because, you know, I love, I love Japanese food in general. Uh, I quickly discovered how different Okinawa food is from mainland Japan. So I get over to the house, and there's one other lady there that kind of speaks a little bit of English. And I speak some broken Japanese, but I could use a lot of, like, hand motions and body language. And we're sitting around this table, and presented in front of me is this beautiful meal. Uh, every, every food has a different dish and a different like pottery, and inside um, each of the dishes are these different kinds of foods. And the ones that look familiar are the rice. That was kind of the staple food. Uh, but everything else I had never seen uh, before in my life. It was, it was all new food. So in the first dish on my left is, uh, is a small bowl, and uh, it's what I would call octopus and seaweed delight. And it had this like really long green uh, seaweed that's different than mainland Japan. And so what I would liken, to, liken it to is if you were to stretch it out, it kind of reminds me of like your intestines or something. You know, you just like keep stretching and it goes on forever. And so that's kind of the feeling I got in my throat when I was, when I was eating it. And then um, there were some other foods that I was somewhat familiar with. And then on the right, there was like this little bowl of soup. And uh, usually in Japanese food, you have like miso soup. So I was like hoping it was kind of like a, a form of miso soup. So I asked, you know, what is in this dish? And, um, and no one could answer straight away, which I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's a sign if I, can't, uh, if I can't understand what they're saying about this soup. And inside, um, I finally started catching some words. There was the word niku, which is meat. So I'm like, okay, great. We got mystery meat. I, I'm okay with that. And then I heard the word uh, buta, which is the word for pig. And then the next thing I hear is the word mimi, which is ears. So my mystery meat is, is pig ears. <laughs> so I, I somehow try to like figure out how I'm going to swallow this food down. It's, um, you know, I can't really plug my nose. I can't hide it in my napkin. You know, I went to a really mature place at that moment. And, um, and so I somehow eat the food. And uh, to be honest, for three days afterwards, I was like sick to my stomach. It did not sit very well. But I was sitting there and these ladies at this banquet, these ladies at this food, at this uh, luncheon, are so excited to share with me this meal and their culture and, and these different foods that have been brought to the table. And we're sitting there and I start catching bits of their story. And these ladies, as I said, are between the ages of 70 and 101. So if you go back, you know, 60 years, that's when World War II was taking place. And these women at the table are all in some ways, survivors of World War II. And what's unique about Okinawa is even though it was a part of Japan, the Okinawa people were oppressed and suppressed by the Japanese people, 
the Jap Japanese Imperial Army. So some of the bloodiest battles in the history of World War II took place in Okinawa. And so I was sitting there feeling so humbled that here they are sharing this beautiful meal and sharing their story and letting me take part in this culture. Like, I, I, was, I was just so touched inside. And, um, and, and the, the meal continues, and um, all of a sudden, the story of the banquet starts coming back to my mind. And I'm thinking about this paper that I wrote and studying this, this parable. And I knew God was speaking to me at that moment. And, you know, he was saying to me, you know, the parable of the banquet, the kingdom of heaven, it's not about programs. It's not about doing, doing, doing. It's not about um, your checklist. The kingdom of heaven um, and the kingdom of God represented in this banquet that I'm now taking part in is about love. It's about love. And at that moment, you know, I'm sitting at the table, you know, trying to like gurgle down seaweed delight. And I'm like, Th that's what this is about. This, this is about love. And it was just like this like epiphany moment, even though, you know, love is kind of a simple, a simple rate word. But when you, when you put it in that kind of context, you fully understand. So I was sitting there and I'm like, not only is this banquet and this meal about love, uh, I am now the misfit in the story. Here I am invited in, uh, invited to share this meal with these hospitable and loving um, hosts. And I'm kind of the misfit. I'm, I'm the alien, I'm the foreigner. I, I'm kind of ignorant at this point to Okinawa culture and life. Um, I have, you know, it talks about the, home, you know, the poor. I'm definitely poor at this moment. I just finished seminary. I think I, you know, maybe had like $100 to my name. And, and it was this, this feeling inside, this humbling feeling that, um, that God was trying to teach me that the parable of the banquet is not just God's story to us, but it's a story that we can take home with us home in our ministry, home in our family, home in our workplace, so that we go from being the invitee to the banquet to being the host of the banquet. So it, it was like this ta-da moment, this realization. And so from that moment on, um, I saw my time in Okinawa very differently. I saw the relationship I had with the people very differently. And I took that moment in time at this beautiful banquet, this banquet of love, home with me, and it, and it became a backbone uh, to being in ministry and to loving children and to loving our ministry volunteers and our ministry teams. And despite, you know, we try to put these like awesome programs on because we know it's an opportunity to have relationship with kids and with families and with children, Ultimately, it was about a relationship of love. So where that brings me today, <laughs> um, I look back at my, um, at my time at McDowell Mountain like 20 years ago when the church started. I was, uh, I was a student at that point, and um, I could see that the formation, the past of McDowell was formated, um, formulated in this way that 
it has become a place of the great banquet. And uh, it's been so wonderful just to watch McDowell Mountain the past 20 years just grow up and to see that this, that this banquet of love continues within these walls. So the past has been so important for me here, and I'm super excited about the future and about continuing on this banquet of love that takes place the moment we walk in the doors of this church. Um, for me specifically in children's ministry, I'm super excited to get to know all the children, all the parents, all you parents, all of our volunteers. And um, my goal as we go forward is, is to make our children's ministry, um, you know, like coincide with the ministries, of course, of the church, but to make it a place where the great banquet is felt and experienced and where love is the primary component of everything we do. So where that uh, brings you today, how uh, maybe how you could be pulled into the story, is uh, where, where do you see yourself in the banquet? Where would you like, um, where do you want to serve? Where do you see an opportunity to invite others um, into the banquet story? And how can we bring um, who you are and your passion and your gifts and your calling into this great banquet story so that more and more people know the love of Jesus Christ, they know the love of the kingdom of God, and, that, um, and they know that everyone that enters into this place will experience love in a brand new way. So we're going to just close in prayer from this from here, and um, thank you again for letting me share a little bit of my story and my crazy uh, food stories at Okinawa, and um, I'm really excited to join you guys and journey with you in ministry. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you so grateful for your banquet, so grateful for your great love, so grateful that you gave your life for each in every one of us, um, so that we could go out and share your love with others. Um, I just pray, Lord, for this future of our church. I, I thank you, Lord, that I can be a part of the future. I thank you, Lord, um, that you continue to speak uh, in my life so that I continue to know how to love like you love. I just pray, Lord, uh, that you are with us um, as we continue our summer of transition, that you guide us, that you give us wisdom, and that uh, love and hope continues to be uh, the main part of our DNA and that all we do. In your name we pray. Amen. I just invite you to stand for this last song.
Yeah. Uh-huh.